Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Today's pod deals with the controversial topic of Jafakan or the Jamaican influence on London English. So thanks to Paul Kurzweil for his contribution and to Tipper Irie, who's somewhat of a schoolboy hero of mine. I decided to use Tipper Irie's story to illustrate the meeting of Jamaican culture and Cockney English. And the show ends with young Londoners talking to illustrate the subtle but unmistakable change that has occurred in London speech since Jamaican immigration to the capital. This is the story of how one small island conquered the world. Jamaican Patwa. And a fair start, a Safa Pound. Usain Bolt is also out well. Here they come down the track. Usain Bolt! It's a story of music, sport and style. How its rhythms, athletes and language went global. Pull up, pull up! This is how Jamaica conquered the world. My name is Tipper Irie, I am a recording artist and I live in London, UK. I'm Paul Kurzweil, I'm Professor of Social Linguistics at the University of York. Windrush brings to Britain 500 Jamaicans. Many are ex-servicemen who know England. Britain in 1948 that there had been immigration to Britain in the, the first part of the 20th century. But all of a sudden in 1948, there were these new people who arrived. And the reason they came was because there was a big labour shortage. And so people from the Commonwealth were invited over. So we get the first arrival of immigrants from Jamaica who arrived on the Windrush. When the West Indians came over, they uh, tended to settle in particular places in, in London, um, like Notting Hill, for example. In Birmingham, they would settle in Handsworth. I think probably one of the reasons for that is, is something known as chain migration, and that is some of the, the early migrants, the pioneers, if you like, came over, found somewhere to settle, and then they sent the news back home, and more people came and, uh, and settled close to where the existing communities were. So this is why you find uh, a lot of people from India and Pakistan in Leicester and Bradford, for instance but not in York because of this sort of chain migration. Now, why have you come to England? To seek a job. And what sort of job do you want? Any type, so long as I get a good pay. Parents came over from 
Tulani, Jamaica in the late 60s. Well, when the people arrived, they discovered that it was hard to get accommodation. So there were, there were signs saying no blacks, no Irish, when they were trying to rent accommodation. Summerleyton Road houses many of the three and a half thousand immigrants who have settled in Lamb. At number 49, Mr. and Mrs. Austin live comfortably with their children. They are lucky, for many of their fellow immigrants have been crowded six or seven to a room with a weekly rent of 30 shillings each. So when they came over, you know, it was basically five of us in one small room. See, there was kind of like a communal shower and bathroom, toilet, normal standard things in the early 60s, what we had. My mum used to do all kinds of jobs cleaning jobs, cooking, catering, childcare, work, all different type of odd jobs to basically get by. And then my dad got himself a corner shop in Dulwich, believe it or not. It was a greengrocer's. At the same time, you have this idea of youth culture which was something that wasn't really around until after the Second World War. And so it was sort of fortunate for the Jamaicans, if you like, that they came in with their own forms of music and, and also language and slang, that were able to tap into this new feeling of youth, the possibility of, of having cultures associated with young people, which wasn't really so much the case before the war. And so they were seen as attractive, that their music was attractive, it was unconventional, and it was exciting. And so that's the kind of thing that uh, English young people certainly bought into quite quickly. Okay, skinheads, get up, get set. Grab your bag, your kit, and get fit. We're all going for a ride now. As time went on in the, in the 50s and 60s, they came with their own forms of music. So the kinds of music that then turned into reggae and much later on ska. So these forms of music were then somehow indigenous English forms of music, but with a strong influence from these new immigrants from the Caribbean and especially from Jamaica. And so they were sort of founders, if you like, of the post-war music scene. Doing the swing, I say. Growing up in South London, my dad used to have like a basement in the basement of our house. Basically, we used to have a corner shop. My dad used to rent out that corner shop to bands, you know, like the real thing. A lot of these disco bands from the 70s. And then my dad used to, of course, keep his little shubbings on a Friday and Saturday night. And I used to just go down there and listen to him play U Roy, Big U, Trinity, people like that. And then, of course, people like Gregory Isaac. Dennis Brown. And I just fell in love with the music, fell in love with the sound system culture, adapted, just practiced, just listened to you, Roy, and big youth and people like that, and just imitated them. Said to myself, you know, basically, I want to be like them. I want to be a DJ, I want to be an MC. Well, the music spread throughout urban England, of course. I mean, one of the one of the main things was that the Jamaican influence was actually very great, not only over the English people, the white people, but also on other Caribbeans, so that you get something that some linguists have called London Jamaican. So my colleague Mark Seber wrote a book called London Jamaican. And the point that linguists 
have made is that the form of speech that grew up in the 60s and 70s and 80s was a form of Jamaican patois rather than versions of speech from, say, Trinidad. All the young Caribbeans then bought into the Jamaican way of speaking. This is something that, I suppose, because of force of numbers, Jamaicans were, they're not in the majority, but they were the lar largest single group of, of immigrants from the Caribbean. So that their culture and, the, and also their language became the dominant one, certainly among the young black people in London and Birmingham. So, I suppose towards the end of the 70s, the early 80s, you find this fairly homogeneous form of Caribbean speech, which was characterized more by Jamaicans than by anything else. So what you then found was young people who could then switch into and out of a Jamaican patois, even if they came from somewhere else in the Caribbean. The other way they would be speaking, of course, was some sort of Cockney or Birmingham, if they lived in Birmingham. They would switch between a Caribbean style of speaking and an English style of speaking. When we were at home, with our parents. Our parents spoke to us in deep Jamaican patois. But obviously when you're at school and you're speaking to the teacher, you've got to speak in plain English so that they can understand you. Our style kind of reflected that. We did the two together, which is basically the language of our parents. And of course the cheeky Cockney slang what we grew up listening to in schools, talking to our white friends. And basically, that's what we did. And that's why I would see a beautiful girl and say, hello, darling. And she'd say, hello, good looking. That's just like a normal way we would speak. And I used to do that a lot. I used to take sayings and make songs out of it. In the early 1980s, we get a whole raft of British Jamaican artists mixing Cockney and, and uh, Jamaican patois, like Smiley Culture and uh, Tipper Irie. When Hello Darling got into the national charts, I went to Jamaica to do Reggae Sunsplash. It was special for me because my dad had left us in the UK when I was about 15 or 16 and went back to live in Jamaica. And so he'd never really seen me perform. And then the first time um, he actually saw me perform was at Reggae Sunsplash in Jamaica. So he was very proud of his son. 30 years on to the present day, you don't get this strong feeling of a Jamaican culture which is somehow set up against the Cockney culture and that you have to sort of translate between them somehow. There is now a, both linguistically and probably musically, something of a shared linguistic experience, if you like. So as the young Caribbean people who are now speaking a form of London English, but of course the London English that they speak is something that many people outside London at least perceive as some sort of Jamaican-influenced way of speaking, or, or even some people call it Jamaican. And there's a term for it which the media have pushed, and that is Jafakan. Black and white, boy and girl, operate in this language together. This language which is a Jamaican patois. But the perception was that this is black culture and more specifically Jamaican culture and that the language that was being used was Jamaican language. That was the case for some commentators but other commentators then said, well hang on a minute, 
this way of speaking, all kids in London speak like that. You shouldn't have to be a third-generation Jamaican to speak like that. You can be white or mixed race or Asian or whatever. Not only that, but this form of language isn't Jamaican. It's actually homegrown. It might have one or two Jamaican elements. It's not imported from the island of Jamaica, even though it is perceived as, as coming from the island of Jamaica. So I suppose the influence of Jamaica is still felt all these years later, even if it's a bit hard to pin down specifically what the Jamaican features are. What uh, linguists have said is that some of the pronunciations that are used by young Caribbeans are also used by young Asian people, young white people, young Arab people, and so on. But this is still perceived in some quarters as a form of Jamaican. And I think the reason why it is perceived somehow as Caribbean is that it is very clearly not traditional Cockney. So whereas some of the younger Caribbeans 30 years ago would be speaking Cockney like the Cockneys, that isn't the case in the same way. And it's also the case that the young white people who live in the same area also don't sound like traditional Cockneys. There's been a sort of move of the Cockney accent, if you like, east out into Essex. So that's the sort of place where you still find some sort of traditional Cockney speech. Well, I grew up in Labrogrove, North Kensington, which got a strong Jamaican. So I've been around loads of Jamaican, Caribbean people. I've gone to their parents' house, their parents speak yardy accents. So I've picked up words from them. So it's from where you're from, you pick up how you're speaking. It doesn't matter about the heritage. I remember I was in HMV one time. <laughs> and I was looking at, I was in the hip hop section, looking around at some Indian room. And he looks sort of like behind me, yo, what's up? What's going on? You coming to my yard? I was thinking, who's he talking to? I don't know him. I look behind me, there's bare Asians in it. I was like, no, that's gone to the next level, isn't it? So I think the music, dance or reggae, mixed into the culture, travel, innit? I've been brought up around a lot of cultures. I've sort of adapted a piece from all of them and just tried to adapt myself so I can speak to whoever, however. I think it's like a big mix between like, there's definitely some influence from old school Cockney slang by obviously Jamaica. One of the things a lot of people ask is whether this, the influx of people from the Caribbean, from Jamaica, 30, 40, 50 years ago, is going to influence on the, on the English language. I think it is in a couple of ways. And one is that we already see that a lot of youth language, in London at least, has a certain amount of slang from the Caribbean. There are some pronunciations as well, which a lot of the young people use. So instead of saying, as a Brummy or a Cockney would say, go home for go home, these young people would say, go home. Different vowel, they say go instead of go. They don't drop their H's, you know. One thing um, that we've noticed is that in the inner city of London, in the East End, people have stopped dropping their H's, which of course is a big Cockney thing. But of course the question is whether that will actually carry on into the English language in the future. And I think the evidence is that yes it will. Hi, I'm Randall Alexander. I'm 18 years old. I'm from West 12, Shepherd's Bush. I'm half Grenadian, half Nigerian. Hi, I'm Jacob Fab. I'm from Labrador, West London. I'm half Vietnamese, half English. My name is Monique Morgan and I'm from South West London and I'm half Dominican and half Jamaican. I'm Jay, I'm from Western Shepherd's Bush. I'm 20 years old and I'm half Irish, half English. My name is Zachariah, I'm 23. Um, my mum's English and Irish and my dad's Jamaican from Labrogrove, West London. Hi, my name is Salma, I'm 19, um, I'm from Shepherd's Bush and I'm from Somalia. Hi, my name's Hamid, I'm 22, I'm from Shepherd's Bush and I'm Kurdish. Hi, my name's Rebecca, I'm 17 and I'm from Latin America. I'm Matthew, I'm 19 and I'm from Barbados and St. Lucia. 
First, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's written reviews on iTunes. I still need more. It's the equivalent of giving me cash, as it helps to keep the podcast high on the iTunes rankings. So please write more reviews if you haven't already. This week, we became the most downloaded podcast in Jamaica, and we're being promoted extensively on iTunes USA. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, where we are at HowJamaica. You can follow me personally, where I'm at Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. The website is HowJamaicaConquerTheWorld.com, and we also have a Facebook page, which is Facebook.com forward slash HowJamaica. 